everybody present. You may be seated. We're certainly really happy to be here. And uh, we thank God for all that the Lord has done. And uh, this has just been great last night and tonight. I just want to say, uh, preface a few things today. Didn't we enjoy Sister Bowman, those that were in here? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Amen. A lesson of, of character and, and of godliness. Amen. And that's what we need for today. You'd be so amazed at, um, thank you, at, at the things that churches, leaders, people of God have to uh, deal with today. And um, you have to be equipped and prepared for certain things. In other words, even though the Lord has called us, many of you are in leadership positions, or you serve in capacity in church where you have to uh, deal with others, you still need the power of God. And we don't know it all. We have to be taught. Amen. We have to be uh, taught how to, uh, I'll use the term, maneuver through the different things in life that we have to deal with, relationships, perspectives, church, uh, ministry, all of that. And as I was sitting here today, and I know the, the title of this conference, but I thought about you as you were talking today, uh, First Lady, and you said you left Buffalo, was it 30 years ago? 30 years ago. Um, now that you look back over your life, you could probably say that uh, the dream of what God had purposed for your life has come into fruition and reality. Little did you know back then God was preparing you for today. You were a youngster in church. <laughs> and because of who you were back then, God was preparing you for leadership in the body of Christ today. Same thing with Bishop. Amen. And uh, so uh, it's a unique thing. We had the privilege, and probably you did too, and maybe some of you. Kathy and I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. Not just a Christian home, but a leadership home. We were both PKs. You know what PKs are? Preacher's kids. <laughs> and so we had that unique privilege. We didn't think so when we were younger. Uh, because it was to, to us, it was like, it was almost like, oh my God, we're living under a curse. <laughs> We had to go to church every time the church door was open. Had to go to every program. We couldn't watch cartoons on Saturday, you know, if they had something going on. And Sunday you couldn't watch TV. We had to go to church. I mean, anybody else know what I'm talking about? Were you raised like that as well? Um, so when we were little and smaller and youngsters coming up, we could not see the value in it at all. And we raised our family because we were raised up in church that way. We raised our family the same way. Um, my father was from the old school of Pentecostalism. And we grew up that way. So a lot of the old teachings we had in us, it was just put in us from, from, from kids. Um, Kathy and I started pastoring together uh, there in Buffalo. Uh, we were raising our family, and we had uh, uh, our youngest son. Uh, he couldn't have been no more than about 
maybe eight or ten around that time, maybe twelve at the most, but I don't think he was twelve. Because uh, we were going to church and in the summertime like it is now, and we had something going on that it was just a really nice evening, and we said, okay, everybody get in the car, we're going to church. My son Jason said, church? I don't want to go to church. You know, he was having such a great time with his pals. And so we made him, you know, get on in the car because that's just the way we, we don't We don't go to church and leave our kids home at that time. And we don't send our kids and we stay home. We all went to church together. And so we were on the way driving across the city and we got down to a church. Uh, it was probably a Friday night or a Wednesday night or something like that. Friday night. At that time, we had church Tuesday and Friday. Anybody come up through that generation? We had church at least twice a week. That was Tuesday nights and Friday nights and Sunday. And so that Friday night, we were on our way to church, and we got past the church, and the lights were off. The lights were off, and nobody, no cars were parked there, and the doors were obviously no one was in the church. And Jason said, Daddy. I said, yeah. He said, what kind of church is that? And I told him what kind of church it was. And he looked around. He said, that's my kind of church. <laughs> They don't have service on Friday nights. That's my kind of church. (laughs) So you have to train up a child. Not only do we have to train up a child, but we also have to obviously be willing to teach that young person how to maneuver through life. Because... As they grow older, the leaders of the church of tomorrow are picked out today. They're picked out from their youth. And the Lord, uh, if you notice in the Bible that the majority of the people that God dealt with in the Bible were very young. And he saw something in their heart very young that he obviously could attach himself to and cause them to be groomed so to speak, so that his glory or the dream that he had. How many know God dreams? When you say he has a will and a desire, that's a dream that he has about us. And and, uh, he purposes those things in life. And so if we start out in the proper phase, he can always ordain the steps of our life. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at today. If you're a leader in this particular church, amen, how God has ordained their steps. And it didn't start after he got saved, but it started from a child. It started from mama and daddy raising them upright, teaching them proper values. And God saw something in them that caused them, uh, that caused him to look upon them with favor and said, I choose you. We realize today that God does not have to choose any of us. But it's always something about us that makes God notice us. Um, I wanted to say this too, that you must understand, and I'm sure that that many of you do, that talking about um, Faith Fest, this conference, that the Lord said something on last night, that this will not just be local much longer. I don't know how long. But it's going to be regional. When I say regional, I mean outside of just the the, the southern tier. But it's going to spread 
and it's going to travel. It's going to go places. And you know what? Bishop's going to have to have some people that travel with him to make sure that the conference goes well. So get all that you can right now. Learn everything that you can, every phase about it, what needs to be done. So everything works in a, 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 a syncopation mode so that you can have complete oneness and it will grow. You hear me? It's going to grow and God's going to cause it to be uh, favored. Um, another thing that the Lord uh, just shared with me about this, and I just want to say this before we move on, that this is an expensive undertaking. You can know the largeness of a, of a person's heart by what they give. And when I thought about it, um, this conference, it may not seem to you like it's a very expensive venture, but it is. When you play, pay for airline tickets, for people to travel and hotel and travel accommodations and food, Amen. It becomes an expensive venture. And any man, any woman, any church, any team that will take that kind of undertaking because they love the people of God so much that they want to see the people of God blessed so that they can affect lives of others, that person has an enlarged heart. Not narrow-minded broad-minded, someone who will not only just look at themselves, but will also look at the, the body of Christ and to say, people of God need this. And it's a large undertaking. I know that on this week, it's, it's a special week. I've been getting the emails, the updates from, from faith to face, from bishop, amen, uh, anticipating this time, anticipating the outpour of the Lord's Spirit. And uh, it's investing in your life. Anytime we have an investment, we have to take opportunity to invest in it as well. Amen? Amen. So it takes a lot of planning, a lot of food, all the good food that we've been eating. It's not just about the spiritual itself, but it's also about the fellowship and also about the natural ability. You know, you can be as spiritual as you want to be, but if you don't have any common sense, all you have is, is spirituality. But if you don't know how to interact with folk, you will mess up. They don't know the Spirit is leading me. Yes, but there's some, there's some things that you, we, we should, how many know that there's some things we should learn in homes as children being taught? And you can be as spiritual as you want to, but if you have no knowledge there for the Spirit to connect to, then you, you don't have a whole lot to secure you and make you a well-rounded person. This world today needs balance. And I'm sure that all of us can tell that, right? Uh, some of the incidents that we've seen happen in the last few weeks alone tells us that this world is in trouble. And we need more people with Christ-mindedness uh, to influence positively the things of God in, in our communities. So we thank God for that. I do want to share with you on today if someone would be so kind to pass some of these out for me. Um, thank you. And um, we'll go from there.
I'm going to take about probably the next half an hour and um, go through some of this. I may not get through it all, but I wanted you to have something, read it, because as we're going through life, every ministry, every person who has been singled out by God, God starts everything with a purpose and a plan. He looks at the end of a thing and sees the end result first and then he starts preparing people for the end result. A lot of things that we're facing now, if we would just really if we just really boil it down to this one specific point to say that everything that we are going through in life hardships, uh, difficulties. When you go to the back of this book in Revelation, you find that the saints of God have won. It's a fixed fight. It's all we already won. Right now, we, we sit in heavenly places. I was sharing with my congregation the other, other day that even now, even though we are in a building of brick and mortar, it's not about the building. Because we actually are sitting in heavenly places. When you lift your hands in worship in the Lord, in the house of the Lord, or in your own house, when you begin to worship him, you put yourself in a heavenly place. If you could really see this the way I'm going to try to explain it, is that when you lift your hands in here, everybody in here, if you can, lift your hands right now. You have your hands lifted in this building. But if you could really understand what you just did, you just raised your hands. It would be just like your arms just kept extending and kept extending and kept extending, and they're raised up in heaven. You can put them down. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? When they say we are, we are worshiping and lifting our hands in heavenly places, we are in the presence of God. I mean, it kind of reminded me of, and I think some of us are from the age group that we remember the Fantastic Four, the comic book series. <laughs> and they had one man on there, he just could, just could stretch. It would be just like him just lifting his hands, and there, his hands are before glory. And I thought that was that that we, as we understand those things, we can worship God even the more. The word dream comes from the uh, Hebrew word kalam, which means dream. It is used of the ordinary dreams of sleep. Then thou scarest me with the dreams and terrifiest me through visions. That's what Job says in the seventh chapter. The most significant use of this word, however, is with reference of prophetic dreams and or visions. Both true and false prophets claim to communicate with God by these dreams and visions. Perhaps the classical passage using this word in this sense, is the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy, where it says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, 
and giveth thee a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass. In, in this particular sense, that a dream is a means of revelation. Revelation. It's, it's an expansion of what we see, what we think. And an extended view of what we really look at. Uh, when I was coming up, Sister Bowman would say the same thing, that when she was coming up in school, she would be accused by her teachers of being a, dra- a daydreamer. <laughs> I mean, you know, you were in class and you were right there, but your mind was somewhere else. <laughs> Amen. And sometimes when God allows us to be where we are, but he takes our understanding and puts it somewhere else where his glory is, that becomes a dream. It becomes a thought of what God can do in our lives. Um, That dream means revelation appears in the first biblical occurrence of Kalam. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. Leisure, you can read that, the 20th chapter of Genesis. Uh, Abimelech was, was getting ready to do something he should, shouldn't have done. Getting ready to take another man's wife. But you know what God did? Because God had a purpose. He had a dream. He had a plan for Abraham and Sarah. You know what he did? And Abraham was, was afraid at that time because uh, Sarah, Sarah had to be a good-looking woman. <laughs> and he felt that he will take my life because he's a king. He'll, he has the right or the power, I should say, to take my life if he knows this is my wife. And so, therefore, Abraham depended on God to do whatever he needed to do. And you know what God did? God did an intervention. He did a divine intervention. And while the king was there asleep, God showed him a vision or dream or revealed to him or gave him a revelation that he could not and should not do what he was planning to do. And the only way that he did that was because there was a dream. God opened his understanding to show him something that let him know that this was God. And so, therefore, we have another result of the story. Uh, Today, we will primarily talk about what has been revealed to us by way of a dream or vision or perhaps a prophetic word which was spoken. In either event, it is to every individual a revelation of understanding that is given by God. Dreams and revelations, I came up with a Uh, kind of a three-stage step. And the first stage that we're going to talk about is called the romantic stage. That is with anything that uh, when there is going to be a relationship, there is going to be a romantic stage. Anybody that's married, you just didn't pop up out of nowhere first time you met her and you said, will you be my wife? They'd be like, I don't even know you. There's got to be relationship established. So the, 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 the uh, romantic stage is where God begins to do sort of like what he did with, with Moses. 
And Moses was on the backside of the mountain, and he's going about his, doing what he needs to do. And uh, all of a sudden, he sees this bush burning. No problem. Bushes burn all the time in the desert. But in the evening, when he came back, he saw the same bush on fire. God got his attention. And he said, now I've got to stop and see what's up with this. Really, what is this all about? Because this bush should have been consumed. And God begins from that point another level of a relationship with Moses. Uh, you could preach on Moses just about all year long. But Moses, we know, that was saved because of his mother's love. And, and when all the kids were being destroyed, amen, his mother did what? Hid him. Put herself, her family in danger. But you know, God was in it. Because God had a dream. That he wanted Moses to do something that Moses was called to do. That's why you, you, you listen to your children. I didn't say obey them. <laughs> Take note to them. When they tell you something, Mom, I had a dream. Dad, I had a dream. Take notice of it. Because God deals with us oftentimes through visions, dreams, or new understanding. Which also gives us to understand that when we have children that are like that, that we can see the hand of God beginning to move in their life. And so what we want to do when we find that is to cultivate it. Cultivate that gift in their life. Keep them around the right things. Purpose their lives for the promises and uh, the, the things of God. The stage of the, or the romantic stage, uh, I want to talk about Abraham. And that's uh, in, in Genesis chapter 15. That's where God began the covenant with Abraham. Abraham uh, did not necessarily seek out God. But there was something about Abraham that God sought out. Abraham has a vision in, in uh, the 15th chapter of Genesis we find where it's written in there how God began to uh, deal with Abraham to let him know that, Abraham, I've chosen you for a time that you don't even conceive in your mind that I'm preparing you for. The things that God is doing this week in your lives earlier, in your life 30 years ago, you did not know that today, you would be exactly where you are. But it was the purpose and the plan of God. Many of you and many of us tried our best to ordain our own footsteps. We tried to plan what we wanted to do. Nothing wrong with that. You've got to have a plan. But when God alters it, when God says, I have another purpose, another plan for your life, my dream is not what you desire. And so if you will just submit to my dream, I will do something wonderful and something awesome in your life that is totally unexplainable. And that's what he said to Abraham. Abraham, all you want to be is a sheep herder. All you want to be is, 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 but he said, I've got a plan for you that I want you to be the father of many nations. 
I'm going to make your, your children as the sand of the sea. I don't know about you, but I sat there one time on the beach of, 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 of Mexico. We were down in, uh, what was that town called? Mazalan. We were down in Mazalan. And I picked up a handful of sand. And the grains of it slipped through my fingers. And then I looked at it. I said, there is no way in this world I would sit here and try to count. First of all, somebody saw me doing that. They say, uh, somebody call somebody special for him, will you? <laughs> but to see that, I said, and God made a, a promise to Abraham, I'm going to make your seed. Now, the, the, if I can use the word, and don't think I'm, I'm bad, but if I can use the word, the crazy thing about it was, <laughs> was that Abraham had no children at all at that time. None. And so God says to him, I'm going to make your family, amen, uh, great. And then God goes uh, dealing with him, and, 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 and Abraham says, what will you give me? What will you give me, God? I've got a dream too, Abraham said, but what will you give me, seeing I have no inheritance in my house? You are in the stage of awe over what God shows you in this romantic stage. Anybody in here ever had an open vision? A few people have. An open vision is while you are actually not asleep. You are wide awake and all of a sudden the whole perspective of what you're looking at changes. I remember when I first started pastoring and Kathy and I had been to Atlanta. We were in uh, on vacation. We went to Atlanta. And while we were there, uh, I was asked to play for a revival that week. And I told them I would. And so we stayed. Uh, while being there, we drove back home after the conclusion of it. And Kathy went to get the kids. And I went upstairs because I had been driving all night. And I got in bed. Well, she was gone a little while. And when the kids came home with her, I heard the door open, and when I heard the door open, I woke, it woke me up, and I sat up in bed because I had, could hear the kids, Daddy, Daddy, they were excited, Daddy's home, you know. And so when I woke up, it was just like me looking at this wall right here, and the walls in our bedroom was green. I looked at the walls. I heard the kids the same time coming up the stairs. The minute I looked at that wall, the wall passed away and we were in the church that we're in now. Not this church, right? My, my home church. Mind you, we were a small congregation at that time. I didn't have very many members. Uh, my father uh, had just relinquished the pastorate of it to me. And uh, we were in that building and at that time, we probably maybe had around 20 folks. I sat up in that bed. I looked at that wall. The walls passed away, and I was in this building. And it was full of people. I mean, packed to capacity. In the vision that the Lord showed me, 
You couldn't walk because of the people that were there. On the outside, I walked in the vision. I walked to the door, and there were cars all up and down the street. It was prosperous people. I went in every room I went in in the church. It was just people, people, people. And at the same time, I'm still hearing the kids come up the stairs. All of a sudden, in that vision, a light, a light just appeared, and it just like somebody took a picture, like a flash from a camera. And I said out loud, I said, who is that taking pictures? And the voice of the Lord said to me, that's the anointing. And the whole vision passed away. By that time, the kids had come in the room and but that thing pondered me because that was only the second open vision I had ever had. And then to see that, knowing the condition or the situation we were in, oh, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, going from 20 people to hundreds <laughs> was like excitement. And I said, now, that's the promise of God. I got excited. I, would, I mean, I worked. I did everything off the inspiration of what God has showed me. So that romantic stage is that stage that gives you excitability, just like that brother or that sister did when you first met them. Couldn't sleep at night. Heart fluttering. <laughs> Talking on the phone for hours until you fell asleep. Wake up. You hear the phone going, dee, dee, dee. <laughs> You were excited. And after talking all those hours on the phone, you woke up the next day and you were so excited about him or her until you did the same thing over again. Y'all remember those days? <laughs> the romantic stage is the stage in which God really does something so beautiful for you until you have such a wonderful relationship with him that he keeps you motivated and excited. But you know what? God has a great sense of humor. Because after the honeymoon, anybody know what I'm talking about? After your honeymoon is over, the reality sets in. It's not that the relationship has changed, but sometimes what you have expected sometimes can be too soon for it to come. I worked for years in that church off of what the Lord showed me. Never doubted it. But it was for a time. Not the time that I fathomed in my heart nor in my mind. For I thought that it would happen within two years. <laughs> One year. And after five years we saw a little bit of growth. It was for a specific time. But you're going to be tested during that romantic season. God's going to see what you're really made of. Do you have enough in you to keep pressing when you don't see the outcome of what you want? What do you got that makes you motivated? It wasn't my own self. I was working because 
It was my self-will. I was working because of what God had showed me and what he wanted. And I was willing to work myself silly for it. But it was years in the making. But you know what? I appreciate those years right now. Because it taught us how to put some time in. To work hard. To be diligent. And to, and to have some integrity. Because in doing so, what God was doing was preparing me. All the while I think, I think I'm doing this and it's going to happen. God said, you don't know. You, I'm just letting you work. But you're really preparing yourself for what needs to happen. You've got to be conditioned for certain things to happen. Sometimes people can't handle things because they haven't been prepared to handle them. Uh, we used to look at house ownership and we wondered, wanted to you know, own a home. And, and, and it's a wonderful thing to own a home. But you know what? I found out, and I teach this to my young people now. Before you get into home ownership, take some classes on how to take care of a home. Because you'll save yourself in the long run. If you, if you, uh, if all you know about a roof is it keeps the rain off of you or the snow. Am I right, brother? <laughs> you better know what a roof system does and how it operates. How it has to ventilate the house. You know, and how it has to be upkept. You have to change the tiles, the roof tiles on it every so many years. You have to do the gutter system so that the rain does not sit there. And in the northeast, the ice does not do the damage because it has sat there. You need to know something. And, and, and listen. When you are in Christ, you've got to know something. So God is teaching us right now, every one of us that's in here. Your level of ministry has not ended yet. There's more that's coming out of you. There's more that's coming out of you. More that's coming out of you. And so right now he's preparing you. And so many times we think that the only ones that we're going to minister to is the ones that we see. But I want you to know ministry is all around us. Ministry is on your job. Of course, you have to be careful how you do it. Don't go to church with a family Bible or to work with a family Bible. You, you ever seen those large family Bibles like that? You're walking. You're supposed to be working. But we have to know how to do some things and how to serve the Lord well. But ministry is all around us. When it is done properly, you can be so effective. But if you have no wisdom... And how to minister. That's what makes ministry ineffective. Sister Bowman, I know a man that, that, uh, that God had called. He had tremendous gifts in his life. He had a prophetic anointing. He had a miracle ministry. When I say miracle ministry, I'm not just talking about one area. He had a miracle, genuine miracle. Legs grew out. Teeth were healed. People uh, were prophesied to and ministered to in ways that I had never seen in my life. But when he first, you know, and he, he came off the street. God did this miracle ministry in him. He came off the street. But the cute thing about it was, I mean, you know, he had never had any formal church training. But he was straight off the street. God gave him this ministry of miracles. 
And so he really didn't know how to handle it. He had the gift. But he was in service one night, and the Lord was using him, and he would pray for folk, and they would get healed instantly. And so he just didn't know how to handle it. He was in revival, and he said, Brother, do you believe God's going to heal you? And brother said, yes. He went and got a glass of cold water with ice in it and poured it on the man's head. (laughs) Now the man still got healed, but he got mad first. (laughs) No wisdom. Gift, gifted, but no wisdom. Two stories. Another occasion, he came to church, and he told the man, the man was sitting back some ways, and he said, sir, stand up. And he told the man what was wrong with him, and the man said, yes, that's exactly right. He said, God's going to heal you. And he said, the Lord told me to take my shoe off and toss it to you, and you're going to heal you. Well, He took his shoe off, but he was standing too far back. (laughs) And he threw the shoe, and it hit the man where he did not need to be hit. (laughs) So the man was hurt, and he was mad, but he got healed. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We can be gifted. We can have the power of God upon our lives. But if we do not have any wisdom on how to uh, uh, move in that gift area, we can make some, some real crazy mistakes. So this is how God begins to teach us. And he uses that as, as a pattern. And so in your lives and, and, and going through life, God is preparing some days ahead of us now. Preparing you for ministry. Abraham went through that. You were in the off stage. Uh, the promise was Isaac, of course. Uh, you're usually ready to move forward with anything that you have to do to make that dream a reality. See. It is the stage where you are totally convinced that it will come to pass as God showed it. And you should be. And D, sometimes you can't see the dream until some people leave from around you. I preached last night about Joseph. And y'all understood the story of Joseph. His brothers got mad at him. His father was a little perturbed at him. You mean we're going to worship you or, 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 or pay obedience or, or homage to you? And you're the child? You're the younger brother? See, when God purposes something, it's for a time that's not necessarily right there. Joseph went through all that he went through. Brothers hated him, sold him into slavery in Egypt, He wound up in Potiphar's house. Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind? He had to process all of that. He had to process that and say, Lord, what happened? 
But you know what God was saying? I'm not through. All you're seeing is one part of it. And for many of us today, all we're seeing right now is one part of it. God's not completed it yet. The vision is for a time to come. And when Joseph uh, ended up after Potiphar's house, wound up in, in prison, and y'all know the story, he went on, and then next thing you know, he's now raised up in Egypt to be one of its rulers. God did all that, let him go through all of that negativity just so his promise on the life of Joseph and his family could become a reality. Do you not know, according to what uh, Joseph's father said, what Isaac said, that if we do not get any food, we'll perish because there was a famine in the land. God did all of that to prepare their deliverance so that they would not perish because he had a special call on their life. How many of you today know that there's some things that God took you through and some things that you had to suffer through? And while you were suffering it, it just did not make sense. This does not, this does not even make any logical sense to me at all. But all God had to do was let one more day, one more day come to pass so that the vision could be fulfilled. And you say, oh, now I understand why I had to go through this. It was for your making, but any time God has his hand on your life, it's not just for you alone. It's for those that's connected to you. It's for those that are, that are in the source of what God, uh, realm uh, that God wants you to affect their lives as well. That's why we've got to do our best to make the best decisions. As Sister Bowman was saying, process things. Be happy. Learn how to process the negative things. Anybody ever getting some negative things happening in their lives sometimes? You know, she was speaking today. Uh, when we have negative things that happen in our life, if we don't process them properly, we end up bitter. We'll end up losing our integrity. We'll end up hurting others because of how we feel and we did not process it. We had an incident that happened in Colorado. We've been praying for uh, that, that great state of Colorado. But that incident that happened last week, come to find out what they uh, seem to be attributing it to is that this gentleman um, had to drop out or either got kicked out of a doctoral program, I believe it was. And they're attributing it to the fact that that was something he really wanted to. And once he figured that he could no longer manage and, and, and achieve what he wanted, he just got angry and upset. We have to process things. And then every process that we have to deal with, we have to keep God in it. Amen. Go and pray. Go and pray. Go and lay all night if you need to before the Lord. Matter of fact, that's what some of us need to do anyway. We do a whole lot of, you know, and I'm a proponent that we need to have understanding. But my father would say this. He said, James, you can go to and he would be teasing. He said, you can go to the cemetery if you want to. Talking about seminary. 
You can have all the education and buy all the books you want. But you know what you really need? I said, what's that, Dad? You need neology and not theology. He, did, he said education is good. Education is to meet man. But you need to bend your knees in prayer to know the things of God. You can have theory, but not any practicum. And all you have is what you learned on paper. But how many know you need some experience? You got to know the God you're talking about. You got to know the God you sing about. You've got to know the God that you preach about and that you testify about. And it's something about connecting with God that when you know him and when you talk about him, somebody else feels it. They witness that that man, that woman, knows God. Because what they're talking about, it comes out in their speaking. There's an anointing. I thank God for the anointing. The anointing, when it rests on your life, you know what? People can, can say a whole lot of things and they can deny that you ever did this. But one thing about it, when you know the Lord, no one can deny that you know Jesus. It's all over you. And you know what? In circumstances and situations, it's all over us too. Because people can tell if you've been with Jesus the way you handle some things. If you come out using words you forgot, one one man saw one time he said somebody made him so mad, and then and then they then when they told him what they were doing, they were playing a joke on him. He said, "Man, you done made me use words I heard my neighbors use." <laughs> but how we handle life affects those around us. Your mannerisms, your loving kindness. And the Bible says we're going to be angry, but process it right. Let me talk about stage two. Uh, this last one, uh, sometimes you can't see the dream until some people leave from around you. Read that for yourself in Genesis 13 when you get a chance. Uh, there you will find out that, that, that um, even we talk about a lot being with um, with Abraham. Lot was Abraham's nephew. But even that, Abraham, he was so consumed with trying to help Abraham until God could not allow the dream to happen, until, uh, uh, trying to help Lot, rather, until God could not allow the vision or the dream to come to pass until Lot got out of the way. Sometimes you have to get Lot out of the way of your life. Can't be over-consumed by things. Let Jesus be your first priority. And then when you, there's a saying that we always say, and, and you know what, and I think it would do us all good, especially when we're talking to Christians, is in your talk, tell them, obey God. You'll always be proper in saying, obey God. And influence people to obey God because there are so many influences. You woke up this morning, there was, there was more than God's voice talking to you. Because the devil will tell you certain things, he'll tell you what to do. And that's another thing I say, you cannot always dialogue with the enemy or that voice that comes. 
to reason against what God has already said. You can't hold conversation with everybody. Put the enemy under your feet, and you got to dismiss him from your mind the time that he comes. Because you know what I found out? I found out that Satan will talk to you all the way from Corning to Buffalo. He'll talk to you all the way from Corning to Syracuse. But you know whose fault that is? Ours. Because we let him. When you dismiss him and begin to praise God or sing some songs or Zion, that enemy, he can't stay there. And then the Spirit of God can come in and massage your heart. And whatever difficulty it was that was coming after you to affect you will go away. There's some things that won't last always. There's some things that, 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 that will, will only last a night. And if Jesus had to deal with them, sis, what makes us think we're exempt? What makes us think that we're exempt? Well, if the Lord loved me, he wouldn't allow me to go through this. God loved Jesus. He loved his son so awesomely, but yet and still, he allowed him to go through some things. And then Jesus became subject to the cross. He could have come down off. Did you imagine he was on that cross? He said, all right, I can't stand no more. There's angels. But he became subject. He made himself. I'm going to process this thing because it's not my will, but the will of my Father. Because it's about the kingdom of God and not about what I want personally. In the second stage is the refining stage. The stage, disillusionment stage, where I was just talking, you become disappointed and you become dissatisfied. In Genesis chapter 16, it talks about this stage. Improve or perfect, it means to, uh, where one becomes pure or perfected in God's plan. It means to improve or perfect by pruning away that which is unnecessary. That's the refining part. You ever seen God separate you from some people? And it was some people that you liked. But God saw something that you did not see. And so God says, I'm going to prune them away from you. Because he loved you enough that you would be part of his perfect plan and will. B says that Abraham lost perspective on the dream. He lost perspective on the promise regarding Isaac because of influence by Sarah. Sarah said, uh, am, I, am, am, am I at my age going to enjoy life and enjoy the experience of a, of a son? She said, I'm past the flower of my age. But how many realize that with God, nothing is impossible? When God speaks it, it shall come to pass. And so Sarah says, I'm too old. Abraham, you're too old. Taking too long. Maybe it wasn't God. I may know that the enemy will come to you with doubt. Maybe this is not it because he did it with me. And after five years, I was ready to throw in the towel. 
because the enemy kept talking. And after a while, I said, well, it's not happening. Maybe, maybe it was. You know what? I'll share this with you, and, and then I'm going to move on. I had gotten warned. And I say warned. Because at that point in ministry, all I had was my family and a few other folks that was there. Um, I, had a, I had a preacher that had the Methodist church down the street from me. Wonderful church. Established a long time. And so I was in service one uh, afternoon, 7.30 Bible study. And mind you, we only had 16 to 20 members at that time. And you know, when you got service, everybody don't come to church all the time at the same time. <laughs> if you only got 16, you might have four. <laughs> and so I went to church and I was faithful. And I'll never forget it. Reverend McIshan came down the street. He was a very prominent preacher. And I pastored this corner. He's at the next corner. And so he came in, and I was like, what is Reverend McIshan doing here? And so I, there was only a few people out. And you'll, you'll get the logistics of what I'm saying. I stopped my teaching and went back to see what he, what he wanted. And he said, I want you to preach on Palm Sunday. We have the seven last sayings of Christ. And I want you to be one of the speakers. That's why I came down. I said, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll do it. He said, you know, by the way, that's so awesome that you have senior citizens Bible study. <laughs> Wasn't nobody out that night but my father. And one of the, the, the ladies in the church, and she was an elderly senior citizen. And so that's all he said. I said, little did he know, I ain't going to tell him, this is the church. <laughs> but it taught me another lesson. It taught me to be faithful. But by five years, and all I had was me, the, the neighborhood that we were in was, was a, a, a kind of difficult neighborhood to, to, to do really do ministry in because it was a really inner city, inner city neighborhood. And so we had, like y'all got the speakers there? I had to take them home with me after service if we wanted to have them. <laughs> and I had to bring them before service and set them up. Y'all see the piano that's over there? I had a piano just like that. I had to take it home with me if I wanted it to be there next time and bring it back. See the drums? I had to take the drums home with me and bring them back. Does Bowman know it's the truth? And we had one car. And I had to bring my family to church. So I had to go take all the instruments to church first, set them up, and then come back home and get my family, bring them to church. And then after service was over with, take the family home, come back and get the music and break it down and take it back home. I did that for several years. Had no help. And so by five years, I was burned out. No help. 
but it showed God my heart of faithfulness. I didn't tell Kathy, I didn't tell anybody anything. I said, this is it. I've had enough. I've had enough. I said, Sunday, I'm going to take the keys and I'm going to set the keys on the table and tell the church I'm resigning. I did it out of frustration, out of hurt. That's what I was going to do. Didn't tell her. She didn't know anything about it because if I told her, she going to talk me out of it. <laughs> so I didn't say anything to her. An evangelist called me that night, Saturday night, and said to me, my dear brother, I said, yeah. I said, do you mind if I come preach tomorrow? The Lord has given me a word. I said, oh, yeah, come on. I don't mind because I was going to turn the keys in anyway. <laughs> And sure enough, she came the next morning and ministered. But that evangelist picked my heart. Now, you ever seen folk, some folk eat chicken, they pick it. <laughs> she picked my heart like I was eating a piece of chicken. And she told me everything I was going through. And I hadn't talked to her. But she turned around and I knew this was a clincher. She said, but God said, if you stay. I ain't told that woman nothing. She said, but God said, if you stay, I'll bless you. I understood that God understood. And you know what? I'm so glad today that I listened to the voice of the Lord. Because today, it is just like the Lord showed me in the vision of a church being full and prosperous people. The church being full when we would only see 12 or 16 people on Sunday morning. Now the church is full. It was for a season, an appointed time. It was for the time and the season that God had to train me and develop me. That I might acquire the principles to fulfill the dream that he had even for my life. And it really wasn't about me. It was about what God wanted for his community, for his people. Saints of God, I know I'm past my time. But let me just tell you this. Be faithful. The dream is here. Uh, the scripture that, that says, God says, I know the thoughts. I know what I've prepared for you. I know the thoughts and the dreams. I believe that's Jeremiah 29, 11. I know this in your heart. And I, and I see what you're dealing with and I see what you're going through. And I hear that word for somebody in here today. 
I see what you're wrestling with. I see what you're going through. But, but, but understand that I have a dream for you. I see the things that have been, been planted in your life. I see the hurt. I've seen the rejection. I've seen the things that people have said. I've seen the things that people have rejected you about. But I've got a dream. And I know my purpose and my will and my plan for your life. To bring you to what? An expected end. Saints of God, know today that there's an expected end that God has for you. So redeem the dream. Redeem the purpose of God. Each of of you have God's divine favor working in your behalf for the dreams and purposes that he has chosen for your life. Habakkuk 2 and 1 talks about write the vision and make it plain. That he that readeth it may run with it. Amen? And if you do that, God will bring it to Saints of God, today don't be discouraged. Know that the Lord God is with you. And he's going to bring you out into the place that's a wealthy place. Wealthy spiritually, wealthy naturally. For the success that he has already spoken over your life. My dear sister, may God's blessings continue to rest upon you. And my bishop. The blessings of the Lord. Rest upon your lives. My dear brother and sister, I don't know you personally, but I see the handiwork of God that is in your life. You're going to positively affect others that are around you. You remember this church? Are you a member of this church, sir? No? Okay. But I see the handiwork of God upon you. And God, I praise you now for what you're going to do through them. I honor you now, God, for what you promised them. The promises of the Lord stand as sure. Hallelujah. That the Lord knoweth them that are his. Hallelujah. And he said, no good thing will I withhold from them that walk up right before me. Hallelujah. And the blessings of God will rest upon you. And you're going to positively affect others. And you're going to be a blessing. He's going to open many doors for you in your life. And I thank you for it now, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 All right. Sister Bowman has ministered. I, I, I feel the spirit of the Lord. Amen. But I'm going to get right out of the way. Thank you, Father. Clap your hands together as we receive that on today. Glory to God. Come on, receive. Ah, thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Come on, receive Lady Vaughn. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on and just lift your hand. Glory to God.